Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, joystick wagglers. Can you believe it? We're nearing the end of Series 4 already. Feels like we've only just got here. And if you're one of our Patreon backers, you will have already heard that we are ending Series 4 at Episode 17. Kind of like as Dom says in Episode 17. We know the gore special is technically Episode 18, but we are saving that for its own special episode, which means it's now time for you to send in your feedback to the fourth series for the wrap-up episode. Tell us your thoughts on the series, your favourite challenges, your favourite celebrities, your least favourite moments, challenges and celebrities. Tell us what you have made of this format change now that Dom is leading the charge. Send in your feedback as either an email or as an mp3 to feedback at underconsultation.com before October 19th, 2021. Now, let's get on with this week's episode. Greetings and welcome to hell and welcome to 1995. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, highly original if you're a loser. And finishing three points up, I am Ash Versus. This episode aired on the 3rd of January, 1995. It's Football Mania as FIFA on the Mega CD... FIFA 95 on the Mega Drive and Sensible World of Soccer on the Amiga top the gaming charts, but despite it being a new year, there's no change again in the film and music charts as Miracle on 34th Street and East 17 Stay Another Day top the film and song charts respectively. Miracle on 34th Street still being number one at the box office is a miracle in its own right. Not nearly as much of a miracle as next week's number one film making it to the top. I still can't believe we were going to have two of that franchise as our number one films during our time here.
Wes Craven's new nightmare. Unbelievable. But I guess we may as well just move straight into the magazines. There's no real TV news. The TV premiere of The Doors, Oliver Stone's um, uh, biopic of Jim Morrison, had its TV debut on the 2nd of January, the day before this episode. But I think we may as well just jump straight into the magazine and see what's going on over there. Well, we have a new issue. And last week, we only had half a purple column. Might have left us feeling a little bit unsatisfied. But this week, we're back to the full two-pager. The full width of the column is available to us. And uh, it even has a very, very charming picture of Dom there in his beachwear. Very nice. In fact, pretty much all of the pictures here are from the Beach Party Christmas special, with the exception of a picture of Natalie Imbrulier. Which we will get in next week's episode. Yes, a final celebrity in with a slightly awkward challenge. Mm. But Dom is here to shill. He says this month the column is a wee bit different. Instead of featuring a particularly top day that I've experienced, this is a rundown of the whole colourful rainbow of experience that has made up my past month. Don't worry, though. It's still not interesting. It's still not funny. But I still get paid. It's not that I haven't had any one particularly brilliant day. It's just I haven't had any one particularly brilliant day. But what I have done is surfed some information superhighway. And he goes on to talk about the Games Master Internet. Okay. Like, not just part of the internet. It is Games Master's own personal internet. Right, okay, so he's doing a bit then. No, I just think he doesn't fully at this point understand how the internet works. But this is basically the Games Master bulletin board system that we've seen advertised before. I see. And he says it's free in as much as all you have to do is pay for the phone calls, which are all local rate. So, hurrah? I guess, yeah. Early doors internet. Cost you a little bit extra? Yeah. Once in, you can access cheats, swap or sell games, find out info about the TV show, but best of all is the chat section, where there are numerous topics of conversation ranging from football to what type of old sweets were the best, as well as the obligatory who is the fittest bird in the world debate. Even Games Master Magazine has a section where you can actually chat to Tim and Simon and the rest of the team. Some people might even like that. Uh, Tim Tucker seems like a very nice chap. I mean, definitely. He's definitely one of the most consistent and moderate voices. In fact, he is the median voice on the review section with Adrian being slightly more kinetic and snarky and, and Frank just being normally quite dour. I guess not just Rignall dour, but slightly dour. I was going to say, well, yeah, like Frank is there to be like, I am the elder statesman of this uh, review team to give my sort of like older gentleman review of this, while Adrian just like, can I shoot something? And there's loads of blood. Then it gets a thumbs up from me. Dom himself says he can also be found on the net every day. That's how sad I am. And I would like to say hello to fellow net surfers, Shay, Floyd, Daz, Mike, Gentle Giant, Dominic, Lino, Merm, Sindon, JMB, Adam and Vinny, who are all very amusing blokes and birds, with the exception of Daz, who isn't. Hmm. Oh, poor Daz. Imagine reading that and finding out that Dominic thinks you're a saddo. Yeah, well, I mean, to be fair, Dom is also saying he's sad. So maybe it's all saddos gathering together. Maybe Daz is the serious one. Or is it Dave Perry? I can't see Dave Perry ever going by the name Daz. No, but it's a nickname that they're giving him to annoy him. Oh, so it's like, it's not a nickname you choose, it's a nickname you're given. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, I can actually see them doing that. But other things that Dom has done this month is he's watched some Duff football and he goes to talk about England versus Nigeria and Arsenal versus Man United. Neither were brilliant games, but enjoyable nonetheless. He's played some great games but not that many. Sensible World of Soccer is probably the greatest game on the history of the world, but could have been better. 
well, hang on, mate. Is it the greatest game in the history of the world or could it have been better? You can have one or the other. You can't have both. You're being greedy, Dom. Yeah, it's being greedy. Madden 95 is about as good as the Madden games are going to get, but I'm sure that won't stop them releasing Madden 96. Oh, crikey, he's not wrong there. FIFA 3DO is a dream, Street Racer still poos all over Mario Kart, and Magic Carpet sends me all a quiver. Unfortunately, Dom has also played some very overrated games, with a note from the editor of I Sense a Rant. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. I'm sorry, but why is this nation going mental over Donkey Kong Country? You may have heard of a small game called Super Mario Brothers. It came out 600 years ago on the NES, and it's so much more playable and imaginative than this tosh. Yes, it looks amazing, but so does my girlfriend, and I wouldn't pay 60 quid for her. I would disagree with Dom on that one on many, many levels, including that final line. Yeah, I'd say his girlfriend would definitely disagree with it. Although one does how much longer, would? because that would probably still be Miff more at this point. Uh, possibly, yeah. It is an average game, and it is not fit to lick the boots of Earthworm Jim or any of the Super Mario games. Also, Premier Manager 3, what happened? This was the best ever series of football management games, and they've gone and ruined it by making it far, far too complicated, and it's not even accurate. This may sound pedantic, but in order to prove my point, I started off a two-player game, and when the two teams met, I set one of them up with proper positioning, tactics, etc., and the other one with silly tactics. I did it so the whole team would be grouped around the corner flag for the whole game, put the striker in goal, etc., and the Duff team still beat the proper team 2-1. That does sound like some very broken AI. Yeah, something has definitely gone wrong there. Still, he can console himself because recently he's been getting ready for the Games Master Gore Special, broadcasting history in the making. You see, you may not know this, but we had an episode of Games Master Banned. We had planned to do a Games Master Gore Special, but after the kerfuffle caused in Show 1 with Mortal Kombat 2, Channel 4 decided it would be a bit insensitive to put out a gory special at 6.30pm. So it's going out at 9pm. It doesn't go out at 9pm. After the viewing watershed. This means we are incredibly hard and other TV shows poo their pants when they see us. At the moment, it looks like the show will be transmitted on the 17th of January. It will be sick. It will be full of swearing. It will have naked women running around. It will have Tim Tucker. Actually, that's not entirely true. I'm not sure about the rest of the stuff, but Tim Tucker will definitely be there. Is that sick enough? Oh, and finally, just time for a quick, and slightly belated, Merry Christmas. I suppose we should make note now of the Gore Special, because we initially had the Gore Special down to finish off Series 4, so we would do uh, we'd have that as Episode 18, the Gore Special. Um, but really, like, Episode 17 is the end of Series 4. That is the final episode of Series 4. Dominic announces it as the final episode of Series 4. Although he does say over the past 18 weeks, which made me go, mm-hmm. exactly. so you can they, tell when they recorded that, they genuinely thought the Gore special would just be going out at 6.30pm. Absolutely, yeah, they had that as part of the episode run, but like episode 17 is the end of the run. I think what we decided we're going to do is we're going to do our series wrap-up that's around the series four episode and then do the Gore special as its own special thing. Maybe we'll have some viewer feedback in that episode as well, because I think like the Gore special needs to be something unto itself as opposed to just a regular episode within the timeline. And as I'm sure many of you gathered, we are making sure we've got a nice cache of episodes because of things going on in Luke's life. So we are recording this on the 25th of August. We can't tell you exactly what form the Gore special will take as an episode. It would be nice to do something special because it is a very special episode. It's unique. It is, yeah. It's the only episode to be released on VHS. That's exactly it, yeah. There was a 24-minute cut, and then there's the full VHS cut. We'll probably end up doing the VHS cut as well, really, with like all the extra gumph in there. So yeah, we are going to do something a bit special around the, the gore special. But we've got Dominic's favourite things this month. We don't have a game list, amazingly. 
probably because he spent so much time ranting about games just now. However, his five favourite things for this month, Green Day and all who sail in her. Yep, yep, yeah, Green Day, great band. Uh, Insomniac will be out this year, but Dookie is still uh, kicking it around. Number two, the internet, generally. Now, that's interesting because internet is spelt as one word, but with a capital I and a capital N. Well, we didn't really know what it was. What is the internet, Luke? I still don't know what it is to this day. That's slightly worrying given how you make your living. I know what YouTube is, and I know YouTube is on the internet. But if if you were to ask me, how does the internet work? I'd be like, I don't know, modems. Number three, Disunited, my Sunday league team still in the cup. I love the name Disunited. Number four, Roseanne, still the funniest thing on TV apart from me. Trying to think where we were in Roseanne history, and we were still in the good bit. It hadn't jumped the shark yet. No, people loved Roseanne. Great theme music as well. One of the all-time great American sitcom TV themes. And number five, it could happen to you, a schmaltzy film which made him cry. Oh, I thought it was going to be talking about the National Lottery for a second then. I did as well, actually, when I first started reading it. Then my eyes caught up with the rest of the sentence and I'm like, oh yeah, the film. Welcome to Games Master. Now, financial news. The FT index was down and quite grumpy, really. But a sharp rise in fun towards the end of the day meant that Games Master finished three points up on any other light entertainment show. Like, this is it. This is the penultimate episode of Series 4. It's not the strongest opening we've got. I mean, I appreciate it because there's variety and coming up with a different quip or pun or kind of or cultural related opening, it's, it's not going to be easy, is it? Mm. He did the best with, with what he had. And also, yes, the penultimate episode. I've got a weird feeling about this series and I was trying to put my finger on it during the break that we just took during our big on big old recording day that we're having today. And part of me thought, is it that I've not enjoyed it as much? Is it that the fact that they were very much finding their feet and reinventing the show as they went along? And I'll be honest, I think part of it might actually be that we have done a couple of these bulk recording days, which means we've actually gone through the series very quickly, much more quickly than we would have normally. And this is not a season that holds up to binge watching. No, it really doesn't. And Series 3 had some of that issue as well, particularly when in the team championships and it was incredibly repetitive stuff. I did notice when I was making notes on one of the last batches of episodes, I had my skeleton notes for each episode, which had all the challenges and had game notes and stuff. And then I had the flavor. I had the kind of like the actual comments on what's going on in the episode, which I work around the facts and stuff about the games. First episode, boom, notes complete in like 45 minutes to an hour. Second episode, boom, notes complete in 45 minutes to an hour. Third episode, kind of an hour and a half, a bit longer, maybe two. Fourth episode, gave up, did it another day. And it was just, it it dragged Mm. in a way that actually, I'll be honest, I used to do the notes similar for season three. And I don't think I had that problem because it was so frenetic. It was tiring. But put it this way, there was certainly no, oh, there's not a challenge. It's another feature that's awkwardly introduced. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll dive into more of that on when we get into the the end of show series. But it's like series three. I'm very intrigued to see what the feedback is for this series as to whether or not people have enjoyed it more than series three, enjoyed it less than series three. Maybe this, you know, one of their favorite series. We know that Dominic Diamond himself doesn't like series four at all, really. Season four is raw, unadulterated me. And I think season four is pretty shit as a result. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very curious to see what people's thoughts on this have been as we've gone through this journey. Maybe Don was right because he was down on it and we were up on it. But then again, we'd also only just begun the season four journey when we talked to him. And now at the end, I mean, there's something I enjoy in every episode. 
Oh yeah. In, in fact, for me, it's this first challenge that we're going to get. Oh, this first challenge. This first challenge is definitely something fun. Speaking of Luke, should we see what we're playing? My first challenge of the proceedings is a rather demanding one on the whimsical Mega Drive game Wiz. The contestant has two minutes to finish the level by performing a multitude of interrelated tasks. Speed will be of the essence. The unforgiving time limit means there's a little room for error. I, I'm a Mega Drive owner. I'm a Mega Drive player. I've never heard of this game. However, watching this challenge made me want to go and play this game. This looks like it's a hell of a lot of fun. Well, guess what, Luke? What's that? It never came out for the Mega Drive. Well, that'd be why I've never f***ing heard of it then. It came out for the Amiga. It came out for the Amiga CD32. It came out for MS-DOS. It came out for the Super Nintendo, the PlayStation, and the Sega Saturn. And the Mega Drive version was planned and clearly fucking playable going by this here. However, it never got released. There must be a reason for that. There must be some decision that was made along the way where they decided that this finished game wasn't going to go uh, get released onto the console, considering it came out on everything else. Maybe it was just bumped up to the Saturn. Maybe. I mean, in the past, we've covered how many Amiga ports came across to the Mega Drive and how a lot of the time they were relatively easy to port by a lot of standards. This was being sold as a Mega Drive game. Did we definitely see the Mega Drive version? Because to skip ahead to the post-match, our competitor says the joystick kept slipping out of his hands. Mm. Now, that could be that he had the Mega Drive stick. It could be that he just saw a joypad as a joystick because we were still at a point where a a joystick was a joypad was a joystick and people often didn't properly delineate between them. Or was he actually just playing the Amiga version? I'm just going to go and review the footage now. Nope, he is holding a Mega Drive pad. Even that doesn't preclude him from playing it on the Amiga because common connector, common hardware. Yeah. But yeah, it's fascinating that this never came out. Maybe it didn't come out because they got cold feet over the advertising for the game, which included the slogan, ever feel the need for a whiz real bad? You will. Um, Sega would have been all over that. They'd have loved that. Does does Golden Showers work as a marketing ploy? For, for Sega, I think it would have done. We want to piss into your mouth. Here's the 32X. Absolutely. John, some shit. Here's the Mega CD. First out of the shiny contestant box tonight, we have Jason Pickford. Okay, now, Jason, when, when you're not playing video games, what would you like to do? I'd like to go to the gym and work out. Yeah, what were you pumping? About 20 to 30 on my arms and 160 on my legs. It's good. That's not bad going. Is that, is that a sort of posy gym? Yeah, slightly. They've got a posing room there for anyone who wants to go and show off. A special room? Yeah. And what is, what's the room like? Uh, it's all mirrors. And they just go in there and... Yeah, show themselves off, grease themselves <laughs> up, things like that, and listen to music. <laughs> well, usually I like to sort of finish with a snappy one liner, but uh, I don't think I can top this one, actually. So I'm going to make my excuses and hand you over to today's news. Now, you would have heard this because we've just edited it, but I called him Jordan Pickford when he first came out because I kept thinking about England goalkeeper Jordan Pickford while talking about Jason Pickford. See, I had this thing of when I was writing this going, I know this name. I know the name Jason Pickford. And I'm like, is he a listener that's got in touch? Did he grow he... up to become someone? That's, that's what I was thinking while I was uh, watching through this. And then I put it into Google and it did the thing of like, did you mean Jordan Pickford? And I'm like, oh, there we go. Although Jason, Jason, if you're listening, get in touch. I want to know what you're lifting today. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah, are you still going to the gym as much and saying the numbers around your weights and whatnot? Do you still go to the posing room with your golden joystick? And oil yourself or grease yourself up. 
I love how he said didn't say oil himself. He's like grease. Yeah, they grease themselves up like they're covering themselves in Vic's vapor rub or something. But this is one of those interviews as well that catches Dominic off guard. He literally says, I usually have a, a pithy one-liner to send us into the news, but I haven't got one. You just said there's a hall of mirrors that people just go in and pose in front of. But also, just to respect to his stats, particularly given his relative age, 20 to 30 on the arms, 160 on the legs. I mean, if I'm thinking of the kind of lifting machines that he might be using, that's not bad. Mm, he's all right. People are dedicated to this crowd. I'm not sure I could do that now. No, I definitely wouldn't be able to do that now. First off, a double whammy for Sega's new 32X with the release next February of the goriest beat em up of them all, Mortal Kombat 2, featuring faster gameplay and improved graphics. This week, Sega also unveiled their latest console, a Mega Drive and 32X combined called the Neptune. The £200 Neptune is due next autumn, but we've managed to get hold of an exclusive picture of the machine, and doesn't it look gorgeous? Potentially good news for the 32 X Mortal Kombat 2 is on the way. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a game that we got last year on the Mega Drive. Cool. Now we get it on the 32X. Mortal Kombat 3 is the cover star of the issue of oh, Games man. Master magazine this, that I just. This is why. Honest. Like, when you look back at the 32X, they all sort of fold their arms, puzzle, and, like, you know, wrinkle their nose. Why did the 32X fail? It's because they were releasing fucking ah. old games on it. I remember from your day job. There was a point in time just last year, in fact, probably more than just last year, where one of your co-hosts would turn to you and you would say two words about the WWE. This company. It applies to Sega here. Yeah, it really does. Crikey. Like, it's just, you know, Mortal Kombat 3 is on the way. We're going to get Mortal Kombat 3 in the next series of the show. But here we are, 32X. It's not going to help the sales of this machine at all. Particularly as well, and you want to talk about more confusing Sega marketing, you could buy the Saturn, you could buy the 32X, you could buy the Sega CD, or you could buy the Neptune. What's the Neptune? Well, it's sort of amalgamation of some of these bits, but not all of these bits. It's a Mega Drive 2 with a kipper stuck to it, as they show in the graphic here, which... I felt, oh, that's mean, but also funny. Oh, honestly, like, there's no re- there's no wonder why this all went to hell for them in the mid-90s. But this thing never actually appeared. I mean, they were promoting it, like, in the official Sega magazines in March 95, and they kept going with it. And then in October, they just went, nah, never mind. They were worried it was going to dilute their market. And I'm like, mate, the 32X in the first place is diluting your market. Shoveling shit into a new case isn't going to make it any worse but it also won't help exactly and basically you know they then released the multi-mega that's just got like all of these bits that are sort of tied together it's just uh, the multi-mega i guess makes some semblance of sense it's like yeah it's the cd the 32x and the mega drive all in one in a way that makes sense but also in another way the saturn is is on its way so just kind of focus your attention on one thing as opposed to eight things the neptune didn't die completely though because in 2001 Electronic Gaming Monthly used it for their April Fool's Day prank in the magazine, where they had an article that said, Sega had found a warehouse full of old Sega Neptunes and were going to sell them on a website for $199. And I'm reading that going, you know, so many April Fool's jokes now are really obvious. But 2001, particularly in a print magazine, where of course, would that be an issue that came out in April or would it be the April cover date which came out in March? Yeah, or would you have bought it on April 5th? But you'd have to wait 30 days to find out if it was an April Fool or not, unless they put it elsewhere in the magazine that, oh, by the way, that article earlier, tee-hee-hee. Yeah. I can see that causing some seriously irate people because, you know, someone would have wanted to buy the bloody thing. Absolutely, like in, what did you say, was 2001? Yeah. Yeah, I'd have in 2001, I'd have probably would have bought one. It's a way to get a Mega Drive. It's a way to get a 32X. Yeah. 
maybe I would have been able to finally play Knuckles Chaotix and discover that it's not very good. You could always live for that dream. Software publishers acclaim have been lifting the lid on their spanky computer graphics studio in New York. These latest shots are from the Alien Trilogy game and they're walking, talking, living proof that their motion capture technology captures more motions than anybody else's. Alien Trilogy isn't due till next November, but with sequences like this in the pipeline, it looks like it'll be well worth the wait. This Alien Trilogy game will be worth the wait, but it's not going to look like this at all. However, I uh, I had Alien Trilogy on the PlayStation and it was a really, really fun game. It's a, it's a bit j- janky and it's a bit jittery at times. It's not the smoothest. What do, what do they call it? Into the camera shooter? They called it a couple of episodes ago. Yeah. It's not the smoothest into the camera shooter. However, uh, I, I've got a bit of love for Alien Trilogy. I've got quite a bit of love for Alien Trilogy. I remember playing it on the PlayStation. That was a lot of fun. But one thing I want to raise here, how big a hard-on do Games Master have for Acclaim? Because how many features have we had about their motion capture stuff and their games coming out? This is the third? But it might be that this is essentially like footage that they didn't use from the last time they were doing it, that they're just using here again to kind of fill out the the news section or give it like its own dedicated news piece. I basically suspect that they did have a bit of a marketing deal going with Acclaim. And that's how they got access to this footage. They got access to the motion capture studios they got all that behind-the-scenes footage that they used before. And, you know, fair fucks to Games Master. You make the deals you need to make to get the content you want. It is kind of sad that we don't see a lot of this. Like, some of this footage used here is clearly for japes, like the Colonial Marine tiptoeing mm-hmm. and the alien tiptoeing behind it in kind of the Scooby-Doo motif. I wish we had that. Oh, yeah. That would have been better than Colonial Marines. I claim also of their fingers in another pie, the game conversion of the Judge Dredd movie released later this year. Sly Stallone plays the part of the unforgiving lawman in this no-holds-barred blockbuster. I, for one, have already ordered a new pair of pants in anticipation. And our final news item here, it's out this year. It's sliced alone in the, oh, comic book accurate version of Judge Dredd, a film beloved by 2000 AD fans. It's a no-holds-barred blockbuster, Luke. We know. Dom said so. And oh, fuck me sideways. It's another Acclaim promotion. I mean, the Judge Dredd movie, I remember it being a real big deal when it came out and being like, it's Judge Dredd on the big screen and stuff. But like 2080 fans are not on board with this adaptation. Specifically with Slice Alone just keeps taking his helmet off because Hollywood again is in this mode where it's like, well, you can't put Slice Alone in a movie and not have him show his face. So he you know, spends the whole film basically without the helmet, and it doesn't really feel much of a judge dread of anything. I mean, yeah, you've got to take the helmet off, otherwise how are they going to see him act? Well, exactly, yeah. And it's, you know... It's... I mean, I was saying it was sarcasm, but unfortunately it was the truth from Hollywood's perspective. Yeah, kind of, that's, that's the way they kind of go with this sort of thing. Yeah, It's amazing that the dread movie that we got eventually, many years later, ended up being the dread movie that it was uh which is a fantastic movie and it's a shame that we never got its sequel and carl urban acts his socks off and never takes the helmet off yeah and he's been desperate to do another one as well like do you remember he there was wanted gonna be... to do the tv show i was gonna say there was a tv series and everything but all of that's just like died a death basically yeah it's a shame because they were doing a great job in that and they were making something that while it wasn't 100 percent comic book accurate because dread controversial opinion time judge dread is too weird to do 100 accurate as a live action yeah the best you can hope for is 75 percent, and i think that's where we were with uh the, the more recent dread movie i will say i was a 2000 ad reader i did get on the hype train for the 95 judge dread movie because it was a big sci-fi blockbuster this was a big big deal 
And it did look really good. The designs were nothing like the comic book, but they were great designs. You can tell how good the design for the Lawgiver was, because have you seen the PlayStation era light guns? Yeah. It's a Lawgiver. They they did a huge marketing push as well for Judge Dredd from film that wasn't specifically marketed towards kids. They made sure the kids wanted to go and see it because there was a comic book tie-in for this that wasn't like 2000 AD comic book. This was, I think this was actually done by Fleetway. And it was, yeah. it was essentially Judge Dredd, the comic. And it was done in the style of Sonic the comic and things like that, where it was like a magazine style thing about Judge Dredd and the movie. And it was made for children of my age, nine years old. And the movies are 15. I'm never going to see it. I read that comic. I was also reading 2000 AD, but I did read because the first couple of issues were also dirt cheap. And I think it only ran for like five issues or so. Like it wasn't a long run thing, which is unsurprising, really. Again, you're, ma- you're marketing a magazine, you're marketing a comic book for nine year olds for a film they, they can't really go into the cinema to see. It's not like, you know, doing it for the Flintstones or something like that. But whilst a lot of this movie was based around Sly Stallone's chin, he wasn't the only name in it. Rob Schneider was there. He certainly was, yeah. And more importantly, an actual actor, Max von Sydow. It wasn't a terrible uh, cast, really. And like Stallone's a big name to get into the Judge Dredd role as well. Like he's one of those names that without him, this film would not have been made. But yeah, it's just, it, I, you know, it's another uh, D'Souza script as well, whose name has cropped up a lot in this podcast. For a movie that is appearing at the start of Can We CGI It?, there is a lot of practical work in this. The ABC Warrior robot that appears for no apparent reason is a practical prop that looks amazing. It's a shame. It looked good. It just wasn't Judge Dredd. And unfortunately, it wasn't original enough to capture the critics because the critics hated it. They thought the script was bad. And also Stallone's acting. Stallone's acting gets mocked in the film by Rob Schneider. when he's like, oh, look at you over there, Mr. I am the lure. And that's the thing with, with Dredd is that it doesn't, it's not even that it didn't appeal to 2000 AD fans, because it didn't. It's not just it was the comic book fans that didn't like it. It's like no one really got on with, with Judge Dredd. It's it's just unfortunately not a very good movie, despite the fact that its sets are very nice, if a little Pluto Nash. It's just not that fun to watch. It's actually quite boring. Amazingly, despite how derided it is, there was one positive. It did actually get nominated for four Saturn Awards, primarily around... The visual effects, the music, the stunts and action sequences and the makeup, they were top notch. And also it was a Shepperton film. So you were using a lot of the really, really good production crews that we had over here. Mm. It's why it looks so good. I will go back and revisit it. I have not watched it in a long, long time. And that's been deliberate because I've still got some somewhat fond memories of it. And I'm just like, no, I could watch it or I could just watch Demolition Man again. A much better movie. Right, Jason Pickford is just about to play Wiz. Jason's popping 20 to 30 on the legs, 160 on the arms. Uh, Joss Bilson is helping me out. Joss, uh, what are you, do you pump? What are you asking? Perhaps. Uh, Joss, any tips for Jason? Yeah, it's quite a tough challenge, actually, this. Um, The best strategy you can bear in mind is to pick a route so he picks up the keys and the icons in the right order. He's got to make platforms and bridges to finish the level. Okay. Picking the right route. Well, let's get back to our challenge. And it's a challenge that doesn't feel very Series 4. You've got two minutes to do this challenge, which is long for a Games Master challenge. It's usually, you know, 45 seconds or something along those lines. So you've got a lot of time on your hands to do a very complex set of things. And maybe because it is a port of an Amiga game. This feels very Series 2. doesn't feel very at home at Series 4. But 
as a result, it becomes an incredibly fun challenge. This game does involve skill to a degree, but really for this challenge, what is needed is memory. This kid will have been playing this game in the green room, practicing, and he will have been working out what is the best route for me to take to get this done in the time possible. And then when he sat there, surrounded by cameras, it's really warm. There's goblins running around, sticking him up the arse with a pitchfork, and there's a crowd in a cage. He's got to try and remember this. It is amazing that he doesn't make more mistakes than he actually does. But I did just want to point out that Dom asks Joss if he pumps. Well, I just liked his response of, are you asking? And it was just like, are we are we talking about penis pumps here or are we talking about jerking off? It's, it's basically, it's something to do with the genitals, Luke. I, the, the, the challenge itself is, yeah, it's, it is like a, just a memory-based one. Very series one, very series two. It gets a bit hairy at times. Like Dominic is very unsure that he's going to finish this. Like a, a multiple times throughout this, like, I don't think he's going to do this. I think he's, he's made too many mistakes here. Because like he gets hit right off the bat and has to go get a med pack. He misses a jump that's going to cost him time. And it's like 15 seconds like, is when he gets hit for an, like a second time. And Dom's like, that's it, he's done. How close is he? And just is like, he's so close to the end. And with four seconds remaining on that clock, he crosses that finish line, even though he was poisoned. Oh, it, was a, it was awesome. Yeah, it's one of those ones where you can see your health depleting away because you've been poisoned. And it's a case of, okay, I'm so close to the finish line. If I go for a health pack, I will definitely lose. I just need to race my depleting health. I just literally need to get across that line before the counter hits zero. It's a real tension builder. And this challenge is actually, it's really good. It's really fun. And like you, I would like to play this game. Although, because I'd done the research, I already knew to make sure I had it on the CD32 or the Saturn. Yeah, I mean, it looks very Amiga. Looks very, very Amiga. But I, I, I've got a, yeah, real adoration for it. And I really enjoyed that challenge. Listen, Jason, uh, four seconds. That was all you had left at the end, so it was quite close. Did you have any problems at all? Yeah, my hands keep slipping on the joystick and everything. Yeah. Well, it is, it is quite hot then here. Yeah, it's boiling. Because it is hell. And, uh, and we're not known for our particularly mild winters, I suppose. Um, so congratulations, Jason. Next time you're in the posing room, you will be able to pose with the Games Master Golden Joystick. Dominic Diamond here making fun of him a little bit because like, he, he keeps saying like the pad kept slipping out of his hands. And he was like, I mean, yeah, we're not known for our mild winters down here in hell. Yeah, just, just driving home right towards the end of the series. By the way, we are in hell. Just in case you tuned in and you thought, oh, that looks a bit toasty with all those fires. But... Next time Jason is in the posing room, he'll be able to pose with his golden Games Master joystick. I reckon he did that as well. Went down oh, there, yeah. flexed the arms with it, holding it, trying not to crush the thing too much. Grease, greasing himself and the joystick up. But because we seem to have the return of euphemisms and double entendres towards the end of this show... Now, while I nip off for a spot of goblin tossing, I'll leave you in the bulging biceps of our reviewers. I don't know where this has all of a sudden come from. Because like when Series 4 started, I seem to remember in the purple column, Don was like, yeah, there won't be dick jokes or anything like that. It's going to be a very different show. And then all of a sudden, right at the end of the series, it's just like, ah, go on then, let's just do some. It's not the joystick waggling jokes. It's, it's innuendo, but... I was about to say, you have to reach around a bit more for it, but then I realise I'm setting myself up there. But it is, you have to, <clears throat> it's not as in your, no, that's not any better either. <laughs> Basically, they're knob gags, but they're not quite as blatant as going joystick equals penis. Yeah. First up, it's dodgy movie license time ahoy with True Lies. True Lies is awful. 
It has lots and lots of little sections, and not one of them really stands out on its own. None of them would be good enough as a game in its own right, so I'm afraid it's thumbs down for True Lies. A good game, um, slightly let down by a bit stiff mechanics on the gameplay side. Uh, occasionally you have to get very close to the baddies to actually be able to shoot them. The, the scenes from the film are there, um, and it's more like a chaos engine in, in game style. Um, that's not a bad thing, but it's, uh, it could have been done a lot better with some more platform scenes and stuff. Yeah, Frank O'Connor's Arnie impression isn't all that bad, really. It's better than this game. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's it. Like, this is, yeah, true lies on the Super Nintendo, 78% here. Yeah, like it's a big old shrug, really. Like, it's a shrug score. It looks like a shrug game. It's a movie license tie-in. We've talked about them a lot throughout this series in particular, that if a movie is out, part of its marketing is there will also be a game on the SNES and Mega Drive. And not really a lot of thought and or care has gone into it. It's not there to entertain a child. It is there to sell the movie some more. Yeah, and we got the SNES version reviewed here. It also came out on the Mega Drive. There was also a handheld version for the Game Boy and the Game Gear, which, while similar in gameplay style, was also drastically different. Completely different development team handled those ones. But you can see a lot of it is just a top-down shooter, like the Chaos Engine, plus there's some set pieces. There's a couple that involve the jet, which is one of the most iconic bits of the game. And it's something I never thought we would get in a review. Is Adrian saying, do you know what would have helped this game? More platform sections. Yeah, right? I'm like, what the fuck, mate? <laughs> You've been so down on platformers all series, and we get right to the end, it's like, well, maybe this needs a bit more platforming, this. But there were a total of nine stages, a chateau, a mall, a park, a subway, a dock, a Chinese city, an oil refinery, an overseas highway, and an office building. I'm sure they were all in the film. Next up, the 32X attempts to lightly smack the competition with its very first beat-em-up, Cosmic Carnage. The 32X needs a beat-em-up. Um, it already has shoot-em-ups and driving games in abundance. Cosmic Carnage is a reasonable effort. It's got some nice sprite scaling and some really good graphic effects. There is, I suppose, a slightly redeeming feature of Cosmic Carnage, and that is you can select different parts of armor. You can kick your opponent's armor off, you can even kick their arms off and stuff, but basically just, just doesn't detract enough from the awful gameplay. These ludicrously um, shambling figures as they waddle onto the screen, don't really inspire in you the greatest thoughts of a beat-em-up excellence. Um, it's not terrible, but uh, really I'd wait for something better to be converted to the 32X. Frank O'Connor has got a great line at the start of this where he's like, the 32X needed a beat-em-up. Unfortunately, Mortal Kombat 2 isn't out yet, so instead you've got Cosmic Carnage, which is, as Frank puts it, a reasonable effort. It's okay. Yeah. The 66% is more of a damning score than the comments would suggest. Because like you say, like they're all basically going like, yeah, it's fine. It's all right. It's a big old shrug. Like pretty much all three of the reviews here we have are just big old shrugs. And like, you know, Tim says it's not terrible. Wait for something better. But 66% suggests to me that it's way worse than they're letting on. I mean, we've talked about this game before. We have. And this game is way worse than they're letting on. I mean, Tom Kalinske refusing to defend the game. Next Generation magazine gave it one out of five, calling it a sad, shambling mockery of a fighting game, a quote I think I used before. It doesn't look good here. Mm. I think 66% was there just because they were like trying to give something to the 32X, just like anything to work with at this point. Finally, waste months of time in pointless no-mates activity with the RPG Soleil. It's got a lot in common with things like Zelda and Secret of Mana, and that you have to explore a lot of stuff, but there's also a good bit of action in there. 
There are very simple puzzles to solve and the game is absolutely vast. The graphics aren't exactly groundbreaking or anything, but they are very cute, very well drawn and they suit the game perfectly. And even so, graphics in a game like this don't really matter. It just helps with the, the overall atmosphere and feel of the game. The Mega Drive seems to lag about three years behind the SNES these days in terms of software games. Um, and this is the case in point. Salai is a, an RPG very much in the Zelda mold. You've got about four months on your hand and you fancy getting your teeth into a game, then this is one for you. And I think they're incredibly unfair on Salil here in the final review. This is very much a mid-90s Western review of a uh, an RPG game, which haven't really penetrated into the market yet. Like some of the fantasy star games have had their audience, but they haven't been the huge hits that they are over in the East. It's Tim that says, this game feels like it's three years out of time. And I think that's incredibly unfair. What do they give the game here? Seventy-seven percent. I think it deserves a bit better than that, to be honest. Yeah, I think it's just. I think it's. Just, it seems unfair to be, you know, to say that just because this didn't come out the same time that Link to the Past did, that it's also then past its period of time. Because I think, I, I just, don't, I don't think it's a a very fair criticism against it. And I'm not even the biggest Salil fan. I think Salil is perfectly fine. I just think that the the criticisms against it are are slightly misjudged. I think the thing is, because it came out so much later than A Link to the Past, and Link to the Past was such a absolutely lauded game, and because it kind of looks like A Link to the Past, it's like, well, it's a Zelda clone. Mm-hmm. And it's like Dark Forces is looked upon as a Doom clone, even though it's doing its own thing. Honestly, going by the comment they make at the end, saying, well, if you've got four months available and fancy getting your teeth into something, this one is for you. If that time is accurate, this is a bigger game than Zelda because Zelda Link to the Past does not take four months to complete. Yeah, they say there, if you've got four months to do it, as if that's like a bit of a negative against it. But yet when they were talking about um, Donkey Kong Country, it was like, well, you can complete it in a couple of days. So, well, which do you want? Do you want a game that's going to last you a little while? Do you want a game that's going to be a bit quicker? Yeah, it is. I mean, the 77% is a harsh score, but I don't think it's a, a huge amount more. Early 80s, maybe. 82-83. Yeah. That would have been enough. For those home reviewers amongst you, the latest game line game is Psycho Pinball. To download a demo of this PC game, connect your modem to 081-558-8937. Apart from the cost of the call to London, the service is free. But remember, if you don't get permission from the bloke who pays the bills, you're dead. Our game line game this week is Psycho Pinball. That's it. That's it. We've talked about Psycho Pinball before. This is Psycho Pinball. Get the demo. I, I do like how when they're pitching this, he's like for the home reviewers. Mm. It's like, we've just reviewed the games. Now you can download a demo and you can pretend to be us. I mean, you'll have played it probably more than the reviewers have. Some of the reviews really give away how little they actually play them. Well, maybe that is where the Salil comments come in. Like basically you've got, you've been given 15, 20 minutes to play this, through this game, which isn't really enough time to really sink your teeth into it. So it's just, well, what am I looking at? I'm looking at a game that looks like Zelda. That's what my thoughts are going to be. Yeah. CD-ROMs have been hyped to the skies at the moment, so we thought we'd take a look at some of the infotainment ones on offer. After checking out loads of titles, we discovered that most of them are poo, but we did pick out a few gems for you. Pause. The personal automated wagging system is a dog simulator where you drive the dog. Come again? First, let's have a dig. Hi. Hey, here's a bone. No joking. Uh-oh, the cat alarm. Hope you're ready for a good chase. Yes, pause is extremely silly, but it's also highly original and very entertaining if you're a loser. 
this feature here on interactive CD-ROMs is, uh, I like, I get what they were going for with this to be like, look at some of the crap games that you can get on interactive CD-ROM. But also at the same time, is that I don't think it's a funny segment, and therefore because it's not funny, it doesn't really work. I I would say there's three titles here. Two of them are shit, and one of them is great for its target audience, which is young kids. Yeah. Also. To hear someone use the phrase infotainment was like the cold, clammy hand of the Grim Reaper on my shoulder as I flash back to the mid-90s. Because infotainment, that was a word that was thrown about a lot by people trying to sell shovelware, educational kind of bullshit, really. The edutainment games. Yeah. But this first one, Pause, a dog simulator, Pause standing for Personal Automated Wagging System, which I thought was actually a great little joke. Mm -hmm. It's based on a book. That's why they look like a book, kind of like book cartoon illustrations, because it was. The book was called How Dogs Really Work. It was by a guy called Alan Snow and was developed and released for Mac and Windows 1995. So this would still be a preview version or certainly a very close to production version that we see here. And not only did it come out on the PC and Mac, it got a CDI release as well in 1998. The date surprises me. The, the, the platform doesn't surprise me at all, but to, uh, to come out in 1998 is incredibly surprising. Yeah, the ports continued to come through for a while. In 1998, you got the French version. German version didn't appear until 1999 with the uh, CDI version sandwiched in between. I can't remember seeing a CDI out there in 1998. Absolutely not. That is, an, that is a stunning statement to say. It gets ragged on here. I don't think it deserves it. I think it looks fun enough for the target audience. The most unsettling thing about it is you do spend a lot of this game staring at a cartoon dog's anus. Yes, pretty much. In fact, the dog's ass dominates the screen. <laughs> oh dear, there appears to be some pint-spilling action going on here. Hi, I'm John de Blasio. What you've just seen... Not many people can do. No kidding. Escape With Your Life aims to teach you how to get out of all kinds of nasty scrapes. How many times have you said, hey, get off my back? Tons. Well, the elbow is one of the strongest weapons. The CD also offers a self-defense practice where you can try out your newfound skills in a number of simulated hairy moments. In no time at all, you'll be sorting out unsavory types like Fat Boy and his two loudmouth smelly friends. In the second game that we get, Escape With Your Life, it's pint-spilling action. It's essentially just a teach-yourself self-defense techniques. At least part of this is a conversion of video part works, mail-away, yeah. uh, QVC-type teach-yourself self-defense stuff, and they've just kind of slapped a very rudimentary interface on it to allow you to play it on the computer. Like, you looked at Paws. Mm. everything in pause was designed to fit the style of that title to kind of build a coherent and cohesive product this is a uh, default media playback maybe we make it look a bit like a boom box eh. yeah that's it and i like pretty clothes and i always will i don't care whether everybody in the world goes around with their knees hanging out of their jeans i won't Thank you, Bard. As well as Joan being pompous, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous Cookbook offers vital information on the culinary tastes of the stars. Ivana Trump, for instance, goes for spicy beef goulash, while Roger Moore goes for eggs. All of this leaves us wondering, how did we ever survive without CD-ROM? And the last game that we get is Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous Cookbook. It's essentially just... A, it's a cookbook. It's a cookbook! It's essentially just 
recipes that you can do that uh, celebrities like. And it really is just here so they can make the joke at the end that Roger Moore, his, his the recipe for Roger Moore, famed Bond actor Roger Moore is English eggs. He likes eggs. What, what do you want with those? English eggs. Just, just that, just the eggs on a plate. Tiny bit of salt, maybe. I did get a chuckle out of the appearance of a pre-presidential Ivana Trump. She likes her beef goulash spicy. We also get Joan Collins talking about ripped jeans. She does not like ripped jeans. She's really going to hate where fashion goes. That's enough reviews. That's enough features. Let's get into our celebrity challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? It's time for some pugilistic pranks now, as my next challenge is on the Super Nintendo boxing sim, Super Puncher. The contestant has one round in which to knock out the fearsome bear hugger while avoiding his all-encompassing embrace. <laughs> Good luck. Bloody thrilled to see this on Games Master. Super Punch-Out! I absolutely love this game. And I thought, oh, finally, we've seen this game. And then I looked at the release date and I'm like, wait, we don't actually get this until January 1995. It was released at the end of 94 in America. Yeah, this is new. It feels like it's much earlier in the SNES cycle, but it's a much newer game than you'd think. To be honest, for Japan, it's even newer than that. This actually didn't get released in Japan until 1998. Oh, wow. Wow, that's really late. It can also be found as a hidden little extra in the GameCube game Fight Night Round 2. It can, because we were selling uh, that game, and I was working at Game Station, because Little Mac is a character within that. Mm. And we just went through it so you could get Super Punch-Out, because my mate Wilf was amazing at Super Punch-Out. He's not quite the level of that you see at a at GDQ of people playing it blindfolded and things like that. But he knew exactly how to get through that game in the quickest manner possible. Knew every single person's weakness, the tactics to beat every single person on it. He was an absolute whiz. No pun intended going by our first challenge. He was an absolute whiz at playing the game and it was wonderful to watch. I really like watching speedruns of Super Punch-Out!! And like the blindfold ones, I find it incredibly impressive. And it's thankfully still fairly easy to to play today. It's actually, I think, available as an eShop purchase for the Nintendo 3DS. And it's one of the default games on the Super Nintendo Classic. When I got my Nintendo Classic, that was one of my first things to boot up was to do Super Punch-Out! Because I really like it. I am not quite as good as many people at it are, but I do get a good kick out of playing it. There's actually some really impressive runs that have been done at GDQ. I think it was done a couple of years ago now where they were playing Mike Tyson's Punch-Out and Super Punch-Out at the same time. Oh, wow. So kind of a forked controller kind of setup. It was really, really cool. Oh, wow. So you'd have to basically time it so you could dodge for both and land a couple of blows. Oh, man, I'm going to have to check that out. That sounds like crazy to watch. And also just kind of, who thinks of things like that? (laughs) I know. It's basically just like, how can I do Super Punch-Out just differently than I've done it previously? Now, we've had many boxes on Games Master in the past. Mason, Bruno, Ben. Tonight's guest, though, will be bigger than all of them put together. At the age of 20, he's already European Bantamweight champion. He is the future of British boxing. Please welcome Prince Nazim Hamid. Right now, now Nazim, when you took the uh, the European title off Belcastro, I noticed that in the final round, the ITV commentators, uh, Gutledge and Watt, they were having a bit of a go at you because of all your showboat and you were taking the mick out of Belcastro a bit. Um, do you feel that you should be doing that? 
Uh, in my style of fighting, I think I should be. I mean, people liked it and people didn't. Uh, everybody's entitled to the only opinion, the only opinion today, and uh, still a winner, born to be king. Yeah, and uh, the funniest thing I thought though was when uh, in an earlier fight you called Gary Newborn Roger Melly the man on the telly. Why did you call him that? Uh, Roger Melly the man on the telly's got the name because he's always on telly. You look on telly at the sport venue or whatever and he's commentating. He's always on telly, so he's got to be Roger Melly the man on the telly. <laughs> but Dom rattles off the various boxers they've had on this show in the past. Tonight's guest, though, will be bigger than all of them put together. Mm. Mm-hmm. No, he won't. <laughs> He's 20 at this point. He's already the bantamweight champion. He is the future of British boxing, Prince Nazim Hamid. He did feel at the time, though, that he was going to be the next big thing. I, I'm not a boxing fan. I, I really am to put that out there now. I, I don't enjoy watching boxing at all, and I have very little interest in it. However, a friend of mine at school, because his dad was really into boxing. He was really into boxing. So I was hearing a lot about Prince Nassim and he was just like, he was it. He was the future of this sport. All the others, you know, uh, Bruno and, and the other ones that were starting to like, they were basically on their last legs now. And he, this guy, this 20 year old kid has come up. He's cocky. He is arrogant. He is full of himself. He's got all the attitude that needs to succeed in this sport. He looked to be like the the future of the biz. Yeah, and he had a showmanship to him. Like, I mean, you may not be a fan of boxing, but you are a fan of wrestling. And there's a lot of his shtick, like the entrances he did, flying carpets, dances, flips over the top oh, row. Yeah. I mean, it's even picked up on the interview here when Dom talks to him about his kind of like his flashy nature. Exactly, yeah, because there were a lot of like older statesmen who did not like the way that he conducted himself because it's just like, it's it's not the done thing to be doing it this way. His career was short by comparison to a lot of boxers, but he is still very highly regarded in the sport today for the record he had for the titles that he held. And in fact, there's a couple of predictions he makes in this challenge that they came true and they would have seemed arrogant if he hadn't actually followed through. He did retire from the business and things did go off the rails a bit. Uh, There were criminal convictions based around traffic offences. And and to be honest, I went through the entire kind of history of what happened with that car crash. And then what happened after the car crash and the guy that he was involved in the first car crash with, then getting into a car crash with his missus. Mm. And it just, it's messy. It's kind of nasty. And it's also just quite quite weird and it's then very weird watching this obviously we know that or with the benefit of hindsight but hearing you know when they're recording this in 94 like dom almost like it's almost hero worshiping this kid a little bit because like dom is we said this last week with the uh the two athletics lads he is really into prince nasim as like you know he's very respectful of him and what he thinks he can do for the boxing industry so it's yeah, it's it's very very bizarre to like watch this back with the benefit of hindsight. It's one of the things of like it's one thing to be cocky, and it's another thing to know how good you actually are. It's when you get the combination of both, yeah, that you are setting yourself up for the fall. But he comes out, and you can tell just by the way he walks out that he's good. Mm-hmm. You know, he knows he's good. He's confident. He's cocky. He's not faced by anything that's being thrown at them. And Dom asks him about the final round of the Bantamweight Championship fight where he won the title and says the ITV commentators were having a go at him for all the showboating. Does he feel he should be behaving like that? And he's like, well, it's my style of fighting. I should be doing what I'm doing. 
you're entitled to your opinion, but at the end of the day, I'm still winning. I'm born to be a king. The thing is, he's like, he could have just said, you're entitled to your opinion, but I'm doing what I'm doing and I'm still winning. Yeah. Fine. That's confident, but also acknowledging other people are entitled to not like it. It's throwing in that last line that just takes him to cocky or arrogance of going, oh, also, I'm born to be king. This is also a challenge that he needed to win. Like, it's almost a case of like, they wouldn't have wanted his air if he didn't finish this challenge. He's got a brand and he is really playing up to that brand. I remember when we talked to Dom, not that we mentioned that interview often or anything, but I remember comparing Games Master to Viz and that tickled Dom at the time. And therefore it did make me smile here where we get a Viz reference where he's talking about Roger Melly, the man on the telly. He doesn't give Dom much to work with, really. He's there to get himself over. Oh, yeah, totally. He's not here for the show. He is here for himself. He's here for brand Naz. Exactly. Right, well, Naz and I comment further on the personal problems of Gary Newborn. We'll take a quick break. In the shop's January sale, every bedroom is now half price. For your nearest showroom, phone 0800 789 789. You're Barclay Card obsessed, aren't you, Boff? No, sir. Name another credit card. Barclay Card MasterCard. <sighs> to apply, call free 0800 007 007. Some cars in the £10,000 range can seem a little flat. There's no electric sunroof. Or they have a sunroof, but no metallic paint. Or they have metallic paint, but where's the airbag? Or an airbag, but no power steering. But the Citroen ZX Dimension has the whole shooting match for only £10,595. And a year's free insurance. The Citroen ZX Dimension. Discover what Citroen can do for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. It's the Alder's Sale of Sales with terrific savings, like the Cape Bay range of coordinated bed linen, all half price. Or Pierre Cardin executive suits in a choice of patterns. Save £100 in the Alder's Sale. How about these Westbourne fully lined ready-made curtains, half price. And there's hundreds of beautiful pure wool Chinese carpets below half price. 
Amazing bargains in the Alders sale of sales at Alders of Croydon, Bromley, Sutton, Arding and Hobbs and all great Alders stores. Are we gonna blast to the past? There is a new crime. Going back in time is a pretty easy way to make money. A new law. He's gonna be president. This one is mine. And a new law enforcer. Jean-Claude Van Damme. Time Cop. At 12.30 on December the 21st, 1970, a secret meeting was held at the White House. There were no television crews in attendance and no hidden microphones to record the conversation. For 20 minutes, Richard Nixon and Elvis Presley talked. Elvis, the King Meets the President, a Without Wall special, tonight at 9 on 4. Tonight we have Nassim Hamid as our special guest, European bantamweight champion and the greatest hope in British boxing we have seen for a long, long time. He'll be attempting to knock out Bearhugger in Super Punch-Out. Joss Wilson from Total is at ringside with me. Joss, um, most of these fighters in these boxing games have a weak spot. What's Bearhugger's? Right, well Nassim's tactics tonight are going to have to be different to his usual trademark body blows. That's right. going to have no effect at all on Bearhugger. Mm -hmm. What he's got to do is wait for Bearhugger to raise his arms to attack, then yeah. duck avoid his attack and go in with a succession of blows to the head. That'll sort him out. And you can tell how much Dumb likes him because when we come back from the ad break, he's putting him over again as the future of boxing and this, that and the other. He really, really does like this kid. And Joss Bilson takes you through what Bear's weaknesses are. So Bear Hugger is when he gets his arms up into the air, that's when you go for the face. Don't do any of the body blows because they don't do anything to him. It's all about hitting him in the face. Don points out that Naz has only been taken past the fourth round once in his career, which is just as well because this is one round to a finish. Yeah, I mean, it, this isn't a typical boxing game if you've never played Punch-Out before. It's an arcade game, essentially. And it is like knowing when to hit someone and knowing when to duck and when to dodge and when to weave and this, that and the other. It's basically just learning a pattern and memorizing that pattern. So it's weird to watch like prince play this game he sort of plays it the same way you would do any other boxing game he does a lot of the punches he's, just, he's always going for the face he knows when to like throw those punches but he doesn't use the super punch at any point watching having watched a lot of people play super punch outs this is not the greatest example you're going to see the game but like as a uh, this style of playing he'd probably get himself through the first round of people that he would then struggle if you got into the second harder circuits. I mean, he takes a few blows, but he definitely lands more than he takes. I mean, clearly because he knocks Bear down first and Bear's down for a three count before popping back up with his energy refilled. And then Bear takes Naz down. Not that it matters because, of course, Naz also pops back up again with a good fill of energy. Not quite as much as Bear had. But from that point on, it's all Nazim. He, he's got his rhythm within the game. He basically has learned the various steps and he actually does pretty well in avoiding most of the blows while also landing more of his. He does wind up for a power shot, mm. but he misses it. Yeah. And I can't remember if that's before the first knockdown or after the first knockdown, but it definitely happened. And he gets him down a second time. Solid five count this time. Bears back up. He's only got a bit of energy left. And Naz is relentless. He's just in there. Wallop, 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 duck, dodge. Wallop, 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 duck, dodge. 
boom, he's out. Technical knockout, TKO. Yeah, there's like that is the two ways of playing punch outs is to either hammer the buttons, take a few hits, and get them knocked down. Because they're always it's everyone follows a similar pattern as well. If you knock someone down the first time, they're up at three. If you knock them down the second time, they're up at five. Like it always follows the same pattern. Or you try and land those super punch outs, those super knockouts to get them to go down and get them to go down for the full 10. And if you do it the other way around, you just get the, the TKO at the end. And that's the way that he went for it. And it's, it's, it totally works. And he gets the win. He gets the golden joystick. Nazim, what can I say? Technical knockout in round one. Although I did notice he put you on the floor for the first time in your career. Well, I must admit, there's a first time for everything. <laughs> and he put me down with a good shot, but I got back up and took him out. You certainly did. And when will we see you with a world title fight then? I guarantee that I'll be world champion in the 95. Really, you, you, you believe you're that good? I believe I'm the best, and I'll fight anybody out there who wants to fight me. I'm the best. I'll be a legend, definitely. Well, we hope you will be, Nazim. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Although not without a slight bruise to his ego, because Dom congratulates him, but also points out that Bear Hugger put Naz on the floor for the first time in his career, and Naz is just like, well, so it was the first time for everything. Yeah, so also it's not a real fight. Not a real fight. Shut up. He believes he's the best. He's going to be a legend. He's going to be the world champion by the end of 1995. He has got so much bravado and confidence about him. And I think Dominic is so respectful of that. Yeah, I, he was the world champion by the end of 1995. So he followed through on that one at least. And he knew. He knew he was going to be. And I think with yeah. that level of confidence, you, you're going to drive yourself to get to that point. I think the problem comes either when you can't deliver anymore or you have to stop delivering for injury reasons. Where does that bravado and arrogance go? Does it turn out to be your undoing? And in the case of him, it does. Because he did have to stop. And once he stopped, what was he the best at? What was he destined to be? The goblins clearly had a, a bit of fun with this as well, because one of the goblins jumps up onto the playing rock to raise his hand. I mean, had to, really. Yeah. Games Master, on the PC game Magic Carpet, I never seem to have enough speed when I need it most. What can I do? If you're in a tight spot and don't have enough mana to cast an accelerate spell, quickly turn yourself left to a 45-degree angle from where you want to fly. Now, hold down the forward key and the right straight key, and you will actually fly quicker than if you flew in a straight line. That should keep the wind in your sails. Thanks a lot, Games Master. Our first lass in the consultation zone loves Magic Carpet, but can't get enough speed. Well, it's a good job you've come to Games Master, because as we learnt last week, he's got the best gear. And historically, he's always loved a bit of speed. Always has done. And he gives a genuine hint here of, like, if you haven't got enough mana to get the speed that you want, just do this. You back down to the left, then press the forward and, like, put yourself back up and you'll actually go quicker than if you just went in a straight line. And basically, it's playing off a gameplay mechanic, which is you move faster when banking. Yeah. So essentially, if you snake your way towards a target, you'll get there quicker than if you try and fly in a straight line, even though technically you will be covering more ground. Games Master, is there a way that I have to power myself on Power Rangers on the SNES? You want to play this game against a friend, do you? Well, enter this password. One, oh, oh, seven. And the game will no longer be a dull one-player beat-em-up, but an exciting, <clears throat> well, um, a two-player one-on-one beat-em-up. Cheers, Games Master. I appreciate it. This second hint here more felt, I mean, A, it's more dogging on uh, Power Rangers because even Games Master's in on the making fun of this show. But it also felt like it was here just to point out the fact that it doesn't have a two-player option. Games Master openly mocking him for playing this game. And he goes, well, you know, enter the code 1007 and uh, you'll have a fun. Well, 
hmm, well, it will be a two-player game. Exactly, yeah. It was there to make fun of the show and also point out this fighting game does not have a two-player option. Bad game this is. Maybe they did just assume that, you know, if you're buying this game, you probably don't have any friends. Games Master, I got a new game for my CD32 called Darkseed, but I'm stuck. I think I need to use a car, but I don't have any keys. All I've got is microfiche. Can you help me? I think CD32 owners need all the help they can get. If you use the microfiche reader, you know that the keys are in the cellar. Go there, and you will see a loose stone. Pick it up, and look into the hole. Ta-da! You'll find the keys. But you'll have to find some petrol before you can drive. Thank you, Games Master. And another new entry into the consultation zone, Darkseed on CD32. And again, Games Master's got the knives out, because he's like, I think all CD32 owners need a little bit of help. All right, mate. You were giving these out as a prize at the end of Series 3. That was a different age, but also I suspect Dominic had a hand in writing some of these lines. You can kind of feel the knife in a bit. Mm-hmm. Darkseed, very, very, very cool game. Basically, it's kind of a bit Stranger Things. There's a normal world and a dark world. The dark world is based on the artwork of H.R. Giga. And one of the first point-and-click adventure games to use what would be called a high-resolution mode or graphics. 640 by 350 pixels. Can't, can't imagine anything higher than that, Luke. We'll never need more than 640 by 350. It's too big, if anything. And it wasn't necessarily a choice they made. It was part of their contract with HR. He was just like, yeah, okay, you can use this, but it needs to be this clear. It needs to have this clarity. And they're like, okay, we can work on that. It did pretty well. It was pretty well received. It made its way to a number of different systems. Obviously, we see the Amiga CD32 version here. It was also on the Amiga. It first came out for MS-DOS, also then ported to Macintosh, Sega Saturn and PlayStation. But Luke, guess what? What's that? There was a Sega CD port announced, even promoted, but Victor K never released it. Amazingly, an unlicensed version was released for the NES in China. That's actually really cool. Yeah, but I just love like an official version for the Sega CD was canned. However, someone pirated it and bootlegged it across to the NES. Of all things. And even now, apparently someone is now fan translating it back into English. So you'll be able to play a fan translated English version of this game on a NES. I mean, that is way more interesting than a Sega CD port. Yeah, I don't see the Sega CD port bringing us anything new or even being remotely interesting. I mean, it would probably look slightly worse than the CD32 version. And, and that'd be it. If you want a kind of point and click adventure game on the Sega CD, Snatcher. There you go. That's the one you're after. Excuse me if I wet myself, but we are actually in Paramount Studios in Los Angeles on the actual set of Lawnmower Man 2. It's a huge production, and in fact, all these people you can see behind me, that's just the Games Master crew. Lawnmower Man was one of the most successful films of recent years, and Lawnmower Man 2 looks set to be just as big. The sequel picks up from last movie with bad guy Job attempting to take over a world now hopelessly at the mercy of virtual reality. On the day we visited, the crew were filming the opening scene for the film set in the LA of the future. The scene involved hundreds of extras, vehicles and special effects. Perhaps that's why it took so long to get it right. Star bloke Patrick Bergen plays the hero Trace, a disillusioned VR expert who takes on Job at his own game. Oi, stop kissing that bird, Patrick, and get over your work. 
Patrick Bergen, you are the main good guy. It's your job in the film to kick Job's bottom for him. Uh, how, how does your character set about doing that? Well, my character is a... It's probably the character who's responsible for inventing virtual reality. And he has his, uh, his ideas stolen from him. Uh, the uh, major corporation gets a hold of his patent and creates in the character of Job a, uh, a character whose full intent is to take over the world for the corporation. Um, and my job, when I discover they're trying to do that, is to regain my, uh, my patent and to save the world, basically. Right. I have to ask about Notash Bergen. Now, you oh, yeah. had the most famous and coolest moustache in the films, but it's gone now. Is this, uh, is it gone, is it gone for good now, or is it just strictly for this one? No, I think, I think, uh, uh, moustaches, uh, because I've had a variety of moustaches, yeah. and I think that they I use them really for the different sort of characters. So my moustaches have made me some money, but who knows, you never know. This might catch on. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much indeed, Patrick. Thank you. The only member of the cast from the original film is Austin O'Brien, who reprises his role as pin-up kid Peter. Okay, right, I'm with uh, Austin O'Brien, probably, I would say, the, the junior hero of the film. Austin, tell us a bit about the character you play. Um, I play a character who's pretty much a homeless, bum, street tough type of kid, you know, he lives with a, a group of friends down in this metro rail car. And he's, he's changed a lot from the original film, because, you know, in the, in the original, Lawnmower Man, I, I played a character who was, who pretty much had um, a lot of morals, you know. He had yeah. a good. Mom. You were the good old boy next door, weren't you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you know. But in this one, my mom has um, died from something. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> cut! 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 Okay, so. So this is the street, this is Los Angeles in the, in the near future. Oh, there's a futuristic car, get out of the way, we're going to be killed. And the weirdest thing is, is because that's a futuristic car, if it knocked me down, would I have to go back in time to die? I don't know. And, uh, and in the future, we'll still have fruit, which I'm very relieved about. We can't show you what's down there, because that destroy, destroys the magic of the movies, you see. Because then there's the real world. Oh, we've done it, we've blown it, we've blown the whole thing now. The filming went on all night, but by now it was way past my bedtime and time for me to return to the dreary, pointless existence that is normal life. And we heard about this in Dominic's Purple Column last week. The set visit to Lawnmower Man 2. Although he did do these the other way round, as, as I recall. He did more combat first than Lawnmower Man 2, but we're getting them in a different order here on the show. Lawnmower Man 2 is not a great sequel to not a great film but you know credit to them for actually having the the cojones and the effort to make a sequel to it bear in mind the first one was huge yeah i mean that's what dom leads with here is going the first film was fucking massive mahusive in fact it was huge the second film oh poor oh luke it's gonna be just as big it'll be just as big i'm sure no it won't yeah there was so much buzz around the first movie. Like, I remember it being everywhere. Like, all the magazines were talking about it, and, like, it just felt like everyone had something to say about Lawnmower Man. But Lawnmower Man 2 just sort of, like, came and went to the point where you'd think that it didn't never got a theatrical release at all. Well, this film was made on a budget of $15 million, and it does have a box office return of 24 
that really does shape up. And but like you know, we're here in 1994. The film doesn't get released for another couple of years. It just sort of like feels that like Paramount just never wanted to release it or anything. And there was like a the sequel to the the sequel to Lawnmower Man was actually advertised in part like a coming soon on the VHS release of the first. I think it had a different title like Mindfire or something like that. Like Bronholm was going to be coming back for it, but then instead opted to do Goldeneye instead, or like production of Goldeneye kind of halted him in doing that. I don't know. This film didn't need to suck. I think they were sensible in that they didn't try and follow immediately on from the first film. Like time has passed. The kid is older. Brosnan has disappeared off to be Bond. Job's a different guy as well. Mm -hmm. Max Headroom himself, Matt Frewer, a man used to fucking around with computers. Yeah. It does by this set visit look good. Again, like the actual physical set that they're on and all the vehicles and set dressing. And I'm don't know if you noticed, but a car that almost runs over Dominic Diamond, it's the same prototype series that was painted black, given red decals and turned into the Batmobile for the 66 Batman series. Yeah, because it looks like, it, yeah, it's either that or it's the uh, the Homer car from The Simpsons. Although if that had hit Dominic, chances are Dominic would have been fine and the Homer car would have exploded. And if it's the Batmobile, it would have just come out with a big thwack. However, it does now make sense why we have this and we then follow it with Mortal Kombat because they would have been filming close to each other. They're both new line joints. They're pretty, yeah. Dom even said it was on the Paramount studio lot. But while the film was eventually released, everyone hated it. It's not good. Like, I haven't seen it in a long old time. Like, I think I did a back-to-back of watching Law Mower Man and Law Mower Man 2, and that was the first time I'd ever seen it. So this would have been, like, maybe the late 2000s that I would have watched it as a back-to-back thing. And it's, it ain't good. It's a regrettable double bill. It's much like we said with Independence Day. You follow Independence Day with the sequel and you realise how bad the sequel is because of how much fun the first film is. Law Merman's the same thing. The first film, while janky as hell at times, is at least mostly coherent and has kind of like, you know, it works as a film. It works as a piece of cinema. This doesn't and it isn't and it won't. We do have a video game connection there, though, because you mentioned Max Headroom and the creators of Max Headroom, Morton and Jankel, were the directors of the Mario Brothers movie and actually were trying to use a lot of the stuff that they'd got from doing Max Headroom to put into uh, into the Mario Brothers film. And the kind of grimy nature of Lil Mo Man 2 also does look a bit like the sets from the Super Mario Brothers movie. It really does. And like, because like, you know, the director of this as well did episodes of Max Headroom, which is why he cast Fruer in the role. There's some nice connections there. And I'm surprised that like Morton and Jankel weren't contacted to also be involved. But it's not just Dom goofing around on the set of Lawnmower Man 2. He also gets to goof around talking to some of the actors involved. First up, Patrick Bergen, who Dom's like, okay, tell us about your character. And Bergen just goes, okay, let's go through the one sheet from the press kit. Uh, ba 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 scientist, ba 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 intellectual property, ba 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 trademark. Yeah. And Dom rescues this by going, but your, your tash is gone. Where's the tash, man? And you can actually immediately see Patrick go, oh, cool, we can have conversation like a couple of normal human beings. Have a bit of a laugh. Proper reminded me of, I was at the press junkets for uh, Thor The Dark World and Christopher Eccleston you know, being asked questions. He wasn't asked a lot of questions because despite the fact being the lead villain, he is not in the film much. And really, he just had that one-sheet answer, which was just to talk about the the history of the Dark Elves and why his character does the things that he does, but without really any conviction. And I remember, like, he gets asked that once and then doesn't get asked any other questions, any other questions, any other questions. Then someone asks him another question. He hasn't really got much of an answer to, so he just gives the first answer again. Oh, that's embarrassing. 
I heard a lot of stuff about Thor The Dark World. I mean, I actually saw some of it being filmed because it filmed around St. Paul's and stuff. Mm. But I hear there was a lot of Eccleston stuff that just ended up being left out because it was just bad. He's not much of a fan of that movie because a lot of his stuff gets cut out of the final film. And I mean, Alan Taylor didn't finish the film. Joss Whedon finished the film. It's not a great film. With Thor, you can watch the first film and just skip to the third. It's fine. You don't need that second one. No, it's annoying that the ether becomes a pivotal point of the MCU when it comes to the Infinity War saga. But like, yeah, you don't really need to see it much. And to be honest, I'd completely forgotten that it became a pivotal thing in the second movie. I was just like, Marvel sh**, cool, fine. Trot on. We also get to interview Austin O'Brien, who does a Wayne's World extreme close-up. Because it was the style at the time. They start talking about his mum from the first movie and he starts like fake crying because she's now dead. And someone's just going, cuts, cuts. Again, he does, Dom does what he can to set these guys at ease. So yeah, they do the standard spiel of, oh, here's my kind of press kit, one paragraph, one sheet or whatever on my character. And then, yeah, Dom throws him a line with the stuff about his mother and the kid just works with it. And it's cool. It's hmm. nice. It it does elevate it a little bit above the normal stuff. And I'll say it's something that Dom does even better on the Mortal Kombat piece. Exactly, yeah. Like, And this is what we were talking about last week in terms of this is what the show Games Master is going to become, these sorts of set visits. It's Dominic going to places and doing things as opposed to just, I don't know, here is a, a press video that we've been sent by a company that we're just going to show and do some voiceover on. We still get that, but we get much more of this of Dom going out to places. You know, and it, like we in future episodes, we're getting going out to Japan for a few things. So it's cool to see like the genesis of that here in these later episodes of series four. Absolutely. But we get a bit more of Dom wandering around the set. He almost gets hit by the back car and he comes up with the idea of like, oh, if it hit me, would I have to go back in time to die because it's a future car? But hey, at least they still have fruit. And also, it's a stark reminder that filming a film is not always fun because it goes all the way through the night and past your bedtime. Yeah, Dom had to return to the dreary existence of a normal life. I felt that pain as well because I've done films. I've been on film sets where they have done all-night shootings and it's draining, particularly if you know the film you're working on isn't that good we've run out of time now i'm off to tear the last page out of complicated crime novels see you next time bye-bye but apparently normal life for him will involve tearing the last page out of a complicated crime novel that's a pretty good outro line it's not one of the better ones but i enjoyed it yeah it's not one that's going to upset me as much as sand in the ice cream no absolutely not but i think that's going to do it for this episode ash what did you make of it our first episode our penultimate episode of series four but our first foray into 1995 first challenge great stuff like a really solid in-depth challenge nice level of tension good fun throughout really fun looking game sad that it never got the mega drive release glad there's other ways to play it new section absolutely fine review section absolutely fine celebrity challenge that was okay like it, it was interesting to see someone that was so iconic of being a personality at the time and certainly iconic of 90s boxing The game itself, well, he won. He didn't embarrass himself on it. Consultation zone, fine. And not even having the games master do the fake out. It's just like, no, we're just going to do feature. And then Dom's going to say goodbye. And that's it. Mm -hmm. It works better that way. So tidier. You don't miss the final challenge if they don't tell you we're replacing the final challenge. Exactly. It's the simplest way to fix it. And they could have actually done it all along. Yeah, they had that two episode run where they didn't know how to do it. And then... 
So a, a, fl- a switch was flicked. They were like, oh, right, that's how we can do it. I'm getting season one flashbacks where they kind of like everything started to line up towards the end. And we've got it again here because this episode, again, while not a stellar episode, you know, it's not a solid, you know, ooh, everything's exceptional. This is another solid episode that just ticks along, has some interesting elements. The challenges are fun enough. The games are fun enough. It was a fun 24 minutes. Yeah, I think it's the first episode we've had in a while where both challenges have been good as well. I was just going back through the the list of them there because we had, you know, last week we had the Newman Athletics Challenge, which was really fun, but the Smurfs one was so-so. The Christmas episode had pretty much zero good games playing. Week before that, it was the Twisted and the Supercarts. The week before that, it was the Fatal Fury Special and Super Bomberman 2, which might have been, I guess, some of the best games playing we've had. So it felt like it's been a while like a month but i really enjoyed that whiz challenge i thought it was really really good it was a really fun it was it felt different for games master series 4 as well which i really appreciated and it was awesome seeing super punch out on the show while the features weren't like some of the best that we've had it was cool actually seeing dominic diamond on the movie sets for lawnmower man 2 that was Mm. genuinely brilliant and i'm glad that we get to see it again next week and it really makes me excited for some of the ones we're going to get in five six and seven so this again is a bit like the ridge racer episode in which i said that you can feel that it's a show that is working out what it is going to be in the future and that's really exciting to see it's almost like watching series four as we have been for this is seeing this show develop itself it's already being made but it is already developing itself for its next series so what are you thinking score-wise? I'm still not going to push to 90 because competent doesn't feel like it deserves a 90. And I'm aware I boxed myself into a corner somewhat with 88% for the last one. So I guess I can only go to 89. Yeah, I was thinking I'm, I'm going to stick it around sort of 87, which is why I gave last week's episode as well. Like it wasn't better than last week's, it wasn't worse than last week's. So I'm sticking at 87 for that. I was going with slightly better just because I thought the Law Merman 2 feature was better than the 11th guest feature. Which is true. Yeah, maybe I'm being a bit harsh now, actually. Maybe I should go up to maybe the Aldalorian at this time and go to 88 yeah in fact i will do i'll delorean it that's gonna wrap it up for this episode thank you all so much for listening you all rule you can find us on social media we're on twitter at underconsolepod, on instagram at under.console and you can send us an email to feedback at underconsultation.com and if you want to talk with us in real time if you want to chat with other listeners other fans of games master under consultation retro gaming and pop culture in general you can do so on our discord server details of which can be found in our show notes or on our social media and if you want to support this podcast monetarily you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod where you get access to ucp extra where you'll get a whole host of other shows like this but about other tv shows raggy dolls x files the real ghostbusters uh, supermarket sweep funhouse nightmare there's a whole bunch of them actually a over a year's worth of episodes will be there for you if you do backers of that if you do backers on patreon you'll also get access to under console nation our monthly community show and at the five pound level you get next week's episode one week early and ad free at the 10 pound level you get something a little bit extra ash what do they get you can get the first iteration of our patreon pack which includes a patreon exclusive mug patreon exclusive stickers and badges retro power rangers trading cards retro sweeties and five pound off our under consultation t-shirt 
with season five, this pack will be changing. So if you want that Patreon mug, get on board now. And a shout out to those £10 backers. Xanderthal, William, Simon, Sean, Sarah, Roberts, Richard, Rich, Nick, Misha, Matty Clark, Kevin, Jamie, Gordon, David Palmer, David Fisher, Darkside73, Colin, Cliff, and Adam D. Thank you all so much for listening. We will see you in seven days time for the final episode of series four. Take care, everyone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.